Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick, and it's Monday, which is the day of the week that we read back some of the messages you've sent in over the past few cycles. So uh, I think we've got to start off with a very important correction from longtime correspondent Jim in New Jersey. Who says, Robert and Joe, I was credited for the hot dog kimchi combo suggestion. While I agree it sounds awesome, I was not the person who suggested it. It may have been another listener named Jim. Jim, mm. uh, what can I say? I mean, h- huge apology to you over that. I, I don't recall who attributed this to you. It, it may have been you, Rob. Uh, I, I don't remember. But uh, if that was me, then I, I definitely apologize to this Jim and, and all other Jims that may be listening. Uh, but let's see. To get into the more uh, substantive messages, uh, Rob, do you want to read this one from Frederick in response to various episodes? Sure. Here we go. Frederick says, hello, fellows. I am sickly for a few days, which has allowed me ample time to catch up on Stuff to Blow Your Mind episodes, present and vault, good times, smiley face. Your episodes on the seven-day week were truly fascinating. Several years ago, I was unemployed for some time, and I found myself longing for Mondays so the work week would start and some opportunities might come my way. On catch-up... You know the scene in Home Alone where Kevin has prepared his mac and cheese. Watching it as a child made me wonder, why doesn't he put ketchup on it? Several years later, I had the revelation that Americans don't put ketchup on their macaronis. Shocking if true, if Home Alone were to play out in Sweden, where I am from, that plate would have a glorious cover of thick ketchup and a side of meatballs, of course. (laughs) Well, now that is interesting. I, uh, yeah, um, I mean, it... It's not crazy to think of ketchup going on on macaroni noodles, I guess. I mean, red sauce, of course, is fabulous with uh, with noodles, and famously so. Uh, <laughs> but it's not a combination I would have uh, I would have thought of here. In Belgium, do they put mayonnaise on macaroni and cheese? Well, why not? Why not? <laughs> All right, um, here we go. Uh, Frederick continues. And a special shout out to Robert, quote, you put the aliens in the middle of this stuff and you got all the answers is a classic sample in the early 90s track, Abnormal Interference by Eat Static around the five minute mark. Hearing that reference in the Dissolver of Worlds episode took me way back. Ah, that's a... that's that's cool to know. I, I'm not sure I knew the exact uh, title of this uh, this track. It's one that I think I've heard on Soma FM Space Station Soma channel. Uh, if if anyone out there is not familiar with Soma FM, definitely look it up. It's uh, internet radio at its finest. They have so many channels, uh, no advertisements. I absolutely love it. Anyway, Frederick continues. I'm an electronic music producer, and in my daytime job, I develop music production software. I would love to hear a Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode on synthesizers and or electronic music. Your take on the subject would complement the many YouTube channels I binge in marvelous ways. All the best from a Swede living in Berlin, Frederick. Mm. Oh, thanks, Frederick. Uh, I should also say Frederick identifies... uh in a, in a postscript to the particular uh, digital audio workstation software that he works on. And I'm inspired to check it out, actually. I'm, I'm sort of a 
uh, I'm always on the lookout for for what I feel like will be my one true love uh, DAW, which I haven't fully discovered yet. I've tooled around with uh, several of the big ones, and I you know I I can enjoy them all, and I feel like I always enjoy learning a new one, but I've never found the one that's like my destiny. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I wonder uh, what you just said. If this will be the way that we we think about. Um creative artificial intelligence in the future you know it will mm. it won't be a situation where at least as far as creative endeavors go where uh, you know we'll be replaced by this uh, ai or this ai but we'll be seeking out these uh, collaborations with different ai and and trying to find the right one trying to find our soulless soul match out there All right, this next message is in response to our episodes on the seven-day week, and it comes from Joe, spelled J-O, just J-O. J-O says, Hello, Robert and Joe. I live in Malaysia, a Muslim-majority country. While most of the country follows the Saturday-Sunday weekend convention, four states have Friday-Saturday weekends to allow Muslims more time to observe Friday prayers. The part you mentioned about risk-taking behaviors going from high on Monday to low on Thursday, then back up on Friday, got me thinking. Would people who have a Friday-Saturday weekend show a similar trend, but from Sunday high to Wednesday low, then back to high on Thursday, since Friday would be the start of their weekend? I also wonder if risk-averse attitudes have anything to do with online shopping and impulse purchases. I help to run an online shop, and I have noticed there's a tendency for people to purchase more items on the weekends, while our slow days are Wednesdays and Thursdays. However, I'm not entirely sure if that's because people have more time to browse on the weekends, or because of an increase in risk-taking behavior which leads to impulse purchases, or because the shopping platforms provide Fry-Yay coupons and vouchers. Anyway, it was a great series, and I enjoyed it a lot. Keep up the good work. Live long and prosper. Joe in Malaysia. Oh, thanks, Joe. That's interesting. Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, it's, it is interesting to hear that your, your, uh, sh- your shopping data somewhat conformed to the results of that study, if indeed risk, risk-taking has anything to do with it. I would suspect it was probably risk aversion or uh, risk tolerance plays some role in in impulse purchases made online i would have to think so especially given uh the idea about like say uh, alcohol lowering people's risk aversion and mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the many stories people have about oh i had a little too much wine and then i ordered a bunch of things on the internet yeah yeah you, you do hear that a lot All right. Uh, This next one comes to us from Cindy. Cindy says, hi, Robert and Joe. I am one of those lurker listeners, but your Days of the Week series inspired me to write in. Days of the Week in Chinese are very simple. Monday is known as the first day of the week, Tuesday the second, etc., until Saturday. Sunday is just Sunday. When I tried to decipher the shop schedules when traveling in Japan, it got complicated for me very quickly. The Japanese language names the days after celestial bodies, similar to many Romance languages. This is not the case for Portuguese, as I've heard from a listener mail. I thought it might be from the Catholic missionaries, though a cursory Google search could not confirm that. The five planets are known as water, metal, earth, as in soil, not our earth, fire, and wood stars, each a fundamental element in Taoism. I can read the kanji characters in Chinese and mentally translate the planets into English, then map those into days of the week in French. 
My husband does not find this uh, circuitous translation as interesting as I do. (laughs) While I am here, I also want to talk about musical frisson, which didn't seem enough to warrant its own email when the episode uh, was aired. If frisson is built up in anticipation to peak emotions, I'd say nobody does anticipation better than Bach. His use of chord progressions is always a long build-up, where I try to anticipate the next key change even for pieces I've heard many times before, until he hits that tonic and brings the release of tension. I cannot, quote-unquote, outsmart Bach, but consciously or unconsciously, I feel the compulsion to. By the way, your podcasts are always so interesting and thought-provoking that I can only listen to them while having my morning coffee or during more uh, menial tasks like cleaning. And then I will pause and tell my husband about the tidbits I just learned. I save Lauren and Annie's savor for cooking, and I won't name what I listen to while doing data analysis during my workday. <laughs> All the best, Cindy. <laughs> the pod that shall not be named. Yeah. Uh, oh, but appreciate a shout out for our, for our friends, Lauren and Annie. Uh, that's Lauren Vogelbaum and Annie Reese, who host the podcast Savor, which is in our network, and it is all about food. That's right. I think we, we did a guest spot on there a, a while back doing some, uh, some uh, what, a goblin market readings. Yeah, I think we've done some uh, some guest uh, things back and forth, or we've mm-hmm. at least been, been on their show. I think we've talked about having them come on our show before but maybe it's never happened annie did some uh, she's done some dramatic readings for us before when oh, we that's have right. uh, you know every now and then there's a cenobite or a uh, or an ottoman uh, princess uh, or a ruler that needs to be uh, voiced and uh, in a quote and we'll uh, we'll call on annie's talent for that oh but yeah anyway if you're if you're interested in food food history food science uh, and you haven't checked out the savor podcast you should look it up yeah All right, this next one uh, that uh, that I think you're going to read for us here, Joe, this one was shared on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind discussion module, which is our Facebook group. Uh, we don't really do anything with our, with our Facebook. Uh, I think somebody in theory is supposed to be updating that for us, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, no. The main Facebook page, uh, you can, you can skip it, but, uh, but we do have this discussion module where uh, a number of, uh, of listeners uh, share links, share their own thoughts on different uh, episodes. And occasionally like, you know, share something like this that will feature on listener mail. So you can find that and request entry to it uh, via the book of faces. All right. So this comes from Adam. Again, this was shared on our Facebook group and this is, uh, uh, in response to the, the seven day week episodes. And, uh, oh, Adam says, uh, just some commentary from a rabbi on the seven day week part one. And Adam specifies that this was only a response to the first part. The other ones hadn't come out yet. Um, but Adam says, as for the Judaic adoption of the seven-day week, some scholars believe that Israel did not have Shabbat or the Sabbath uh, in the seven-day week until we were sent into exile in Babylon circa 586 BCE. Then, as the seven-day market rhythm spread in the ancient Near East, it became a major part of uh, ancient Jewish practice. There is the ancient ritual of reading publicly from the Torah or the Pentateuch, 
the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, uh, which is mentioned in Ezra slash Nehemiah, and I believe in the Christian Bible as well, those readings were to take place when the most people were present. Since Mondays and Thursdays were the common market days in Jerusalem, those were the days the Torah was read from publicly. Today, this is still the practice by Jews. Torah is read publicly on the Sabbath, on Mondays, and on Thursdays, dating back to those ancient market days. Additionally, my rabbinical thesis asks the question about how Jews can live within Jewish time if they live off-planet. Specifically, the question I addressed is, when one would observe the Sabbath if you were no longer connected to a 24-hour day and seven-day week? Uh, oh, fascinating. I would love to read that, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, I, I love uh, discussions like this. I, I remember reading a, a fair amount about um uh, about how uh, Islamic practices might function in space or on other planets, uh, and it's it's fascinating to uh, to, to imagine uh, how how this would relate to Jewish traditions as well. I mean, because it's, for the most part, it's really going to be only your more recently developed religions that have uh, you know even a, a real concept of of other worlds and so forth. Oh, yeah, I can imagine multiple questions in Islam, say for like daily prayers, if you have a different length of days, or like what direction would you face if, if you're supposed to uh, face Mecca or something during prayers, but you're on another planet? Yeah, yeah, pe- people have thought about these things. Uh, this might be something we could even come back to in a future episode. We get a, get a hold of the right resources, uh, talk about uh, you know, different faiths and uh, what sort of thought has been put into uh, the continuation of, of that faith off-world. All right, this next one comes to us from Poodlebot. Poodlebot writes in and says, Hello, Robert, Joe, and Seth. I've been listening to your episodes on the days of the week, and I decided to write in about my favorite calendar, that of the Shire. In an appendix to The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien explains that the hobbits found it inconvenient that the days of the year don't always fall on the same day of the week. To remedy this, they have two holiday periods, one in winter and one in summer, that consist of several days with no weekday value. So, for example, you might have Monday, holiday, 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 Tuesday, Wednesday, etc., with this modification. The remaining number of days is divisible by seven, and thus each calendar date falls on the same day of the week every year. If you're born on a Saturday, your birthday will always be on a Saturday. I thought this was a genius device, and I just thought I'd share. Thank you for all your entertaining and insightful topics. Poodlebot. Uh, on one hand, that seems great. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, well, but if your birthday is on like a Monday or a Tuesday and and you don't get the rotation where it changes what day of the week it is every year, then then that's kind of a bummer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it also sounds like a fitting thing for a hobbit to be grumpy about. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I say this personally as as not a big birthday celebrator. <laughs> All right, this next email uh, is in response to our Days of the Week series, and it is, it touches a bit on the Weird House Cinema episode on Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire. You remember that question we had about the song Green Stamps? We've talked oh, about yes. it multiple times on the show. We don't understand what the song is about. We thought it was about money, but that became less and less clear the more we examined it. Though I think we made some headway last listener mail. We'll, we'll see where we get to today. Okay. 
Well, this is from Lee. Lee says, hello, Rob, Joe, and Seth. Love the podcast. In regards to the seven-day week and college students slash classes, uh, so this came up in several different ways because in those episodes we found, for example, that uh, college students uh, disliked Mondays more than older people did. And uh, I I think maybe there were a few other findings along those lines. But anyways... Oh, and maybe they had different levels of uh, of consciousness of what day of the week it was than people in other uh, age age groups or demographic groups did. But anyway, Lee says, uh, in regards to the seven-day week and college students sl- slash classes, going to date myself here, but while a student, I volunteered with on-campus EMS. Often while assessing the mental status of patients, especially those with head injury, the what day is it question would be met with a blank stare, sometimes bordering on panic. While not necessarily indicating a concussion, if the context was explored such as what classes did you have today, do you have those two or three times per week, etc., digging deeper helped them realize they did know what was going on. Later volunteering with the town EMS, this was equally helpful. This was prior to the ubiquity of cell phones and even widespread PCs, so pen and paper calendars were the norm. Uh, I was out of school almost 10 years before we had a PC. So now that I've sufficiently dated myself, there was a time when many U.S. grocery stores gave away S&H green stamps with your purchase. Spend more, receive more. These would be meticulously pasted into booklets to be redeemed for products at the Green Stamp store, either locally or through a mail order catalog. I think the company was Sperry and Hutchinson. Hope this is informative. Keep up the great work with the podcast, Lee. Excellent. Yeah, this uh, this ties in with some of what I was looking at. The, the, apparently, the the Green Stamp. Uh, coupon program in the UK. There was some version of it or some spinoff of it in the US for a while as well. And this was all, would also, um, you know, explain why Jethro Tull can be <laughs> can be such a, a, a hit on both sides of the pond, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that uh, that additional information. That, that was great. All right, Rob, you want to read this message about Weird House Cinema from Jeff and Mimi? Whoa, one listener mail from two different people at the same time? That's what time? it says. All right. Uh, from Jeff and Mimi. They say the following. Hello, fellow good, bad movie lovers, Rob and Joe. Of all the B-movie review podcasts, Weird House Cinema has a special place in our weekend podcast lineup. Oh, well, that, is, that is delightful to hear. I know we are certainly not alone. <laughs> in putting out um, podcast content about um, about uh, weird or bad movies. They continue. The pedigree of your choices regularly delights us as lovers of unloved and forgotten movies from the late 20th century. A recent deep dive of the career of esteemed actor Michael Ironside unearthed several gems for us, though none so beloved as 1989's Destiny to Order. <laughs> Dark Toronto Nights, 80s glam, a hack writer shammed by his own creations, and one of the most surprising bad guys of the era, Michael Ironside's diabolical philosophical biker king, Kenrick. It's a journey punctuated by pulpy performances, god machines, miles or kilometers of scenery chewing, and one of the most unexpected and creative deaths of an antagonist. The R rating seems to be mostly for language. The movie is light on gore. It's a hoot. Someone was watching too many Laura Branigan videos. We couldn't recommend it more. 
Jeff, and Mimi. P.S. As old school MST3K fans, we're always delighted when your episode choice overlaps the production credits of an MST3K episode, Charles Band, FTW, which I'm to understand means for the win and not uh, uh, something cruder. Not fight the wizard. <laughs> That's I what always, I always read it as. <laughs> I always thought it stood for um, F the world, um, but by, oh, okay. but you saying the F word instead of just uh, uh, saying F. Uh, and it was confused when I started seeing, like, I had a friend who was, like, super into Harry Potter, and I mm-hmm. remember she was posting something, and she was like, Harry Potter FTW, and I was like, whoa, I mean, <laughs> Harry Potter is great and all, but that that's, seems kind of extreme, but then I found, oh, it's for the win, that's what they mean. Uh-huh. Well, no, for me, it's Fight the Wizard, it is known, <laughs> that's what it is from now on, for everybody listening to this as well. Well, Harry Potter Fight the Wizard, that sounds good, that makes sense. Uh, well, yeah, anyway, I looked up this movie, uh, Destiny to Order. It it does indeed look like a hoot. I haven't seen it. Uh, just based on the user-generated plot descriptions I, I was reading on IMDb and, and so forth, it looks like it's one of these um, uh, kind of lathe of heaven uh, uh, from in the mouth of madness. Like a writer starts writing things that come true. Mm, okay. Uh, and of course, so one of them is like, he, he like writes about his dream woman and then she comes true and they fall in love or something. But then he also writes about an evil bad guy. And then that's Michael Ironside and the bad guy wants to, uh, take over this writing project and write his own story. Uh, but the real, the real, uh, morsel of, of delight here was I looked up the cast and who would you guess is in this, but George Booza. Oh man, Booza. Booza's a lot of fun. Booza's a, a, a Canadian mainstay. We talked about him a good bit in our Weird House Cinema episode on The Brain, a movie about a giant brain. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a lot of fun. Also done a lot of voice actor acting. I remember he he was the voice of the original Beast on X-Men the animated series. Mhm. Uh the movie also has somebody named Dennis or maybe Denis Forrest who is playing, uh, uh, well, I don't know who he is in this movie because I haven't seen it, but I think he was like a henchman in The Mask. He was one of the, you know, the bad mm, guys dudes okay. and in Cliffhanger, I believe. But the, I mentioned him because in his IMDb photo, he's like, he's got a bird perching on his hand and he's just gazing at it lovingly. It's very Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, he also has, in the in his uh, headshot there, uh, he also has... Uh, has a certain style going on that reminds me of uh, the villain from the movie Mandy, um, Jeremiah Sand. Oh, yeah. Played by the guy who is Bruce Wayne's dad in Batman Begins. Yeah, Linus Roche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, he was great. Great villain role, that. In this headshot, uh, this guy, he... He somehow also kind of gives me Tom Noonan vibes. I'm not sure why. He doesn't yeah, look all yeah. that much like him, but that's that's what I'm getting. Yeah, definitely some some Noonan vibes. Like you don't know what he's going to do with that bird. Is he <laughs> is he going to bite it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the obvious implication if it was Noonan. Yeah, <laughs> good hench. He has his good 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 look for a henchman. He's like a sensitive hench. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think that probably does it for this episode, right? I believe so. We're going to go ahead and cap it off here, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. If you have additional thoughts on anything we've discussed in this episode, if you have thoughts on recent uh, and future episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, write in. We would love to hear from you. Uh, in the meantime, yes, uh, listener mail comes out every Monday. 
core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind come comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesday is Artifact or Monster Fact short form episodes. On Friday, we put most of our serious uh, concerns aside and just talk about a weird film. And then, oh yeah, the weekend, that's time for a rerun. Uh, you know how that works. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.